greetings everyone um so i'm gonna go, go to work soon actually but well i'm uh today i'll be reviewing it wasn't about slavery exposing the great lie of the civil war by samuel mitchum um <clears throat> And where to begin? It was kind of a short audiobook. It was six hours and a little bit more. Um, what can I say? Um, before it goes into the details of the war, it explains how slavery was pretty dominant in New England. Um, and in New York, um, the the slave trade, how it went about the slave trade, how Spanish as as well as British um, merchants were involved in the slave trade for well over a hundred years before the um, <clears throat> the the Declaration of Independence in 1776. Um, people like to bring up, like, it was last year, the uh, 1619 Project, um, in which apparently in 1619, the first slaves had, had um, from Africa, had come to North America. And um, this, for, like, the people who, uh, like, um, I think it's, Nicole Hannah Jones, she is some uh, she's some rabid <laughs> left wing ideologue who who wrote in the New York Times the sixteen nineteen project, and I think she recently got tenure at the University of North Carolina, but um, <clears throat> yeah, and she's saying that uh, the white people have not been you know, consistent when they have not upheld the the value that all men are created equal, but blacks have always. Um, but um, this book doesn't really address that. And I'd say the, the more important event in 1619 the, um, would be um, the... The, the government established established at um, in Jamestown in Virginia. This is um, when um, this is at first when the colonies have home home rule. You could say where they rule themselves rather than because rather than um, being ruled by uh, Parliament in London. <clears throat> now. Let's get into, um, it wasn't about slavery. Um, so the slave trade in the 17th century and the 18th century was, was a really profitable industry. And um, there were many factors involved. I mean, yes, there were Southern slave owners, but um, the invention of the cotton gin in 1793 was uh, by Eli Whitney, 
um, was the one that really increased the demand for slaves in the South. Um, but there are other factors, not just the South. Like it's like the South is the only the only sinner in the the slave, in when it comes to slavery. Um, what about uh, there were you know Africans who were enslaving other Africans and then selling them on the west coast of Africa, and as well as Muslims. Um, some from North Africa, some from the from some Arabs who also enslaved Africans, and um, they were sold to they were sold to you know uh, Englishmen and Spanish people, uh, Spaniards. <laughs> um, they and how do I say this? Massachusetts and Rhode Island were became really big in into the slave trade. It was really yes, South Carolina was also involved, but Massachusetts um, was so big apparently that Great Britain was cons- was was erroneously thought of by some to be the. Um, to be a, a subsection of Massachusetts. Like it was... New England was really big into the slave trade. And... The, the United States Constitution in 17... Which was... Which um, was ratified... By um, nine states in 1788. Protected the slaves... The slave... Um, trade until 1807. In 1807, then, um, well, I'm talking, I'm referring to Article 1, Section 9, like the importation of such persons. It doesn't actually use the word slave because um, by not using the word slave, you can include indentured servants, which included white people, um, like Benjamin Franklin. As in, um, I guess the difference between an indentured servant and the slave is that the slave is is there indefinitely while is insl- it has to work indefinitely for the master while as the indentured servant had to um had a fixed time but oftentimes oftentimes the deadline would be extended and some of them would die being indentured servants um but they they did the same work essentially some indentured servants were from Ireland um, but, um, the slave trade was considered very, no, it was considered even more immoral than slavery. And I think, I, I believe George Mason, the, the father of the Virginia Bill of Rights and, um, a very, one of the, the three men who, uh, um, in, at the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia too reject uh to 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 refuse to sign the constitution he was um he was i think critical of the slave trade um and obviously the the book it um by Mitchum talked about how 
the the north uh, started to become more and more manufacturing, uh, have a more of a manufacturing economy, because I, because um, while the south remained agricultural, because the north used to be a lot more commercial, and that's why it threatened secession. Um, during the embargo of eighteen seven eighteen oh seven signed by Thomas Jefferson, as well as the the War of eighteen twelve. And they considered secession in the Hartford Con- uh, Convention um, towards the end of the War of 1812. So this is around 1814, 1815. <clears throat> and what else can I say? It brings up the, the, the irony of that. Uh, the, that they're that the New England, the New Englanders' ancestors were profited heavily from the, from the slave trade, from and from you know, slavery, but and now you have abolitionists in New England con- condemning s- Southern slavery, like as if they forgot that their ancestors were were involved in slavery themselves, but. Uh, Getting on to the question, what like that lets in people's heads when they read, it wasn't about slavery. Um, people ask, so then what was it about? Referring to you know the Civil War, or perhaps secession. I mean, se- secession and the reason for secession is obviously different from the reason for the war. But we'll we'll get into that. Um, the the reason, the primary reason, is money. Um, and slavery is a part of this money question. But to say that it is just about slavery and nothing else, well, that's being being short-sighted. That's not... You have to look at other factors. See, um, the... From the very beginning, the, um, the, the southern states, so that's... Uh, Georgia, North and South Carolina, and Virginia, they were paying the majority of the taxes. Remember that? Okay, so the th- out of the 13 states, so those four, those they're in the minority, right? But they've been paying the majority of the taxes, the majority of the taxes being the tariff, because there's no income tax, right? And um, so this is how it was in the very beginning. And actually, there was a there was a, so the that's the very first tariff. I don't remember when it was signed, but George Washington unfortunately signed it, and there you have it. Um, but in seventeen ninety two, Alexander Hamilton's protective tariff failed, so it never got to. I don't think it got to George Washington's desk. You would see, but you would see the protectionism. Of the rise after the War of eighteen sixteen. I mean, the War of 1812. So you would have the Tariff of 1816. This is as James Madison is was leaving the White House, I guess, because Monroe would become the new president in, in 1816. But the Tariff of 1816 was uh, the one that really opened the Pandora's box to, to uh, protectionism. And... Unfortunately, Calhoun 
and Thomas Jefferson from from like from back in Monticello. He's retired by now. They both endorse. No, they both support the tariff of eighteen sixteen protectionism. Well, Calhoun is is a uh, he's a uh, member of the House of Representatives at this time, and he he wants you know to throw the North a bone. Interestingly enough, um, Daniel Webster is still a free trader at this time, and he. He's against the, the tariff of 1816. Um, Calhoun, Calhoun and you know, other Southerners were in favor of the tariff because they didn't want you know, the, the North to secede. This was a unionist um, move. Calhoun was always a unionist, right? Until the day he died. Um, we... Ill, Oh, I guess I should discuss um, the tariff of abominations. But look at, but afterwards, after um, John Randolph of Roanoke was against the tariff of abomination, uh, the tariff of eighteen sixteen, and he's he said that the the only thing that the tariff of of eighteen twenty eight manufactured was was the presidency of Andrew Jackson because. Um, before you got to the 1828 tariff, you would have the 1824 tariff, which was actually signed by President James Monroe. And we'll get to Monroe when I talk about the, the Compromise of 1820. But the tariff of 1824 was a protectionist tariff. There was actually a tariff of 1820, but and, he, and Monroe had said that he would sign it. But um, he... But it didn't. It lost by one vote in the Senate. The only thing that Monroe vetoed was the was this internal improvements bill in eighteen twenty two. It was for a road. I don't remember the name of the road. But eighteen twenty four, he he signs the tariff of eighteen twenty four, which which uh, John Randolph of Roanoke was also against. Randolph of Ro- John Randolph of Roanoke was a free trader, and he's. He's quoted a couple of times in, in the the book. Uh, it wasn't about slavery by Mitchum. Now, <clears throat> um, it really, like af- obviously after the you can't talk about the tariff of abominations without talking about the uh, the the nullification crisis, and he actually brings up something. He actually, um, Mitchum brings up how, um, in 1822, South Carolina actually did nullify, um, 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 something. It was, um, it was about, um, it was, South Carolina had, had brought up, uh, had introduced a law that would, that would enslave blacks or capture enslaved free blacks that would go onto the sh- shores because you know um South Carolina was a was a was was a trading city well I'm, uh, Charleston South Carolina was a trading port and but fr- free blacks would often like encourage would encourage like the enslaved blacks in South Carolina to maybe 
have a slave revolter. That's what they were afraid of. So, um, the a federal judge, who was a member of the Supreme Court at the time, he, but he was also running circuit. He 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 said that this law was unconstitutional, but South Carolina nullified his action, and James Monroe did not enforce the judge's act. So, this wasn't even the first time that they that South Carolina had nullified. Um, when I'm I'm referring to the tariff of 1832, because um, when Andrew Jackson gets in, well, he he actually used the the tariff of abominations money to to pay down the debt to zero, and he, afterwards he signed in a tariff of 1832, which which did significantly reduce the tariff, but but not enough. So the so the South Carolina legislature called for a convention, a, um, a nullification convention, and they voted to nullify the tariff of abominations, as well as the tariff of 1832. And South Carolina uh, was, well, I'll say this, like, it, the people, the historians say that they were basically standing alone, but... Um, after John C. Calhoun had resigned the vice presidency, like um, uh, he was already a lame duck, because Martin Van Buren had already been elected um, vice president. Um, Calhoun had resigned to to join the the United States Senate, and John Randolph of Roanoke, as well as future president John Tyler, had both assured him that Virginia would have come to. South Carolina's aid if South Carolina uh, if if Andrew Jackson would actually use military force against South Carolina to enforce the tariff because other other states actually didn't really like the tariff of abominations it was just South Carolina was the one who stood up but um it goes later on into how you know, other tariff history, how about how, um, okay, South Carolina only stays in the Union because Henry Clay and Calhoun come up with the com with the Compromise Tariff of 1833. Now, 1842, John Tyler reluctantly signs the, the Black Tariff of 1842. And then Polk signs in 1846 the Walker Tariff, named after his Secretary of the Treasury, Robert J. Walker, I think. Then, um, eighteen fifty-seven. Uh, Franklin Pierce signs the tariff of eighteen fifty-seven, which make lowers the tariff so that it's the lowest it's ever been, and this is the height of, I guess, free trade. Like I guess from eighteen eighteen forty-six to eighteen sixty-one, this is the height of the free trade of free trade in the United States. But then, the the tariff. Of eighteen sixty gets, uh, the Morrill Tariff, gets gets passed and signed by James Buchanan two days before. And this more than doubles the tariff. Um. And it passes because. The the seven states, including South Carolina. The first seven states that would form the Confederate States of America, had already left the, the Congress, so. 
the the man uh, the senator the southern senator who was blocking it in committee blocking the the moral tariff in committee could not keep blocking it and yeah it would pass and would be signed by Buchanan two days before before um, Lincoln took office like even if Buchanan would veto it but he wouldn't veto it because he's from Pennsylvania steel steel manufacturing state which which loved protective tariffs um Lincoln would have just signed uh, uh Lincoln would have signed it signed another tariff increase because he camp Lincoln campaigned on, on like pander or he for the Republican nomination he pandered to to um the 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 delegates at from Pennsylvania which was the second largest state well, as in the second largest, had the second largest number of delegates at the Republican convention. He uh, he pandered to them, saying, "I'm a Henry, uh, old Henry Clay tariff Whig." Listen, he's for tariffs as well as you know internal improvements and the central bank, just like Henry Clay was. Henry Clay's American system. Um, and remember, as I said before, the tariff was was the main source of revenue. Um, and the South paid over 80% of the revenue. So actually, moderate Republicans, though, you know, those who weren't abolitionists, who wanted to end slavery wherever it was, at, all at the same time. Moderate Republicans like Abraham Lincoln actually didn't want... Yeah, they, they, they actually weren't lying when they said in 1860 and 1861... That they would they would not touch slavery in the in the states that it already exists, because the slavery slavery was very profitable in the South, and the, if they if the South didn't make money, they wouldn't be paying taxes to <laughs> with uh, to fund the internal improvements in the North. So, um, uh, speaking of the Republican Party and the op. Actually, I'll, I'll go back to the Republican Party because okay, I've talked about the tariff issue and how you know they were the the North has been plundering the South since since George really since George Washington um, was president, unfortunately, but but um but uh, the spirit of protectionism really got really started opening up in eighteen sixteen. Now, oh yeah, and there was also a carriage tax. The carriage tax only passed the House of Representatives because of the three-fifths compromise. Because um, Northerners actually wanted blacks, uh, sorry, slaves to count as zero for slaves and also indentured servants because they, you know, the, the Constitution doesn't use the word slave. Um, but the... The uh, the southern states wanted slave slaves and I guess indentured servants those people to count as a full person because they wanted representation in so it was about it was about political power and that political eco- and economics um, and there were a disproportionate number of carriages in the south so yeah the north. Was was able to pass a, a carriage tax. 
Um, okay, it only passed the House of Representatives because because of the three fifths compromise. Um, because if 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 uh, southern if slaves counted towards full person, there's no way that it would pass because Virginia w- Virginia was the biggest state population wise as well as territorially area wise, and I guess some South Carolina South Carolina also had you know a lot of slaves, so they would be even would have even more power in the House of Representatives when George Washington was president. There, there would be no, and yeah, the carriage tax would not pass the House of Representatives. Um, and, but obviously the southern states are a minority in the Senate. Now, let's talk about the slave issue, because the slavery issue was really the territories. And you would see the start of this in 1820. Um, the chief opposition to the slave, to the Compromise of 1820, the Missouri Compromise, which would allow Missouri to, to come into the Union, but on a condition that um, slave, uh, slavery would be banned above Missouri's southern border, except for M- Missouri itself. And um, obviously, um, the, the, main, the main objection to this was the Fifth Amendment. Amendment you know, cannot deprive property without due process of law. Um, and, you know, the, the territories also belong to everyone. Like, I've, I've, I think I've explained this in The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government by Jefferson Davis. But, um, and, and I said Charles Pickney, who was, who was in the, the Con- Philadelphia Convention, uh, he said, if, uh, if, we be- if we believed, in, like the, we, the delegates of the Philadelphia Convention, believed that slavery could be regulated by by the the ter- uh, by the Congress, the central government, then there's no union. And um, how do I say this? And John Tyler and John Randolph of Roanoke were and were were opposed to the. Tariff. Uh, sorry, the the compromise of eighteen twenty. Now, um, you would see, I guess, this reignition with the with the Wilmot proviso, uh, named after Democrat and later Republican, well, from Pennsylvania, uh, you know, uh, Representative David Wilmot, and David Wilmot has a a very famous speech online about how he favors the white man over over the the black man. He does has no sympathy for the Negro. He wants it. He wants the territories to be for white people. So see the northern, the northerners want it, the northerners and southerners were fighting over the territories. Um, the northerners didn't want whites. To compete with blacks for jobs in the territories, while the southerners, yeah, they wanted political power. But um, uh, the Mitchum says that this was trying to trying to get trying to have slavery like an agricultural society in those western territories. Um, the climate wasn't good; it was a futile cause. They should have they should have. Um, 
surrendered. Uh, they should have tried to secede all the way in 1850, back or when Calhoun was alive or something. Because the only one, the only, um, see, um, the Wilmot Proviso was was uh, considered by uh, people uh, by no, the Wilmot Proviso was saying that all the territory that claimed from Mexico in the Mexican-American War would be free of slavery. So what does that mean? And many Democrats, but not including Calhoun, actually supported the war. The war. It was actually the Whigs who were against the war, or at least the Southern Whigs. And the the Southern Democrats who supported the war, they realized they had been, they, they felt betrayed and duped, I guess, that because they couldn't have because the, the territories belong to all the people of the states, right? The states own that land. If it's federal territory, right? The, the states created the federal government, so therefore they own the federal government and the, as well as its territories. Um, now, the we get to 1850, and... He has Zachary Taylor, who who is president, and there is this one, this bill, the Compromise of eighteen fifty. That um, how do I say this? This is um, I'm talking so much of not even the war itself or secession. It's fine. Um, Zachary Taylor was a little bit skeptical of the Compromise of eighteen fifty. This was about bringing California into the Union, but. Some people wanted to, uh, and many Southerners voted Whig because of Taylor, because he was a slave owner, a Southern slave owner like himself. But Taylor actually support uh, t- supported the New Mexico Constitution, which was anti-slavery. And then some people, some Southerners felt like betrayed that he would do such a thing. Does he not care about the political struggle? But they were. They were already becoming an incre- increasingly becoming a minority. The southern, the southern states, um, and actually, Zachary Taylor had threatened some delegates from Texas with hanging because the the Texan delegates um, threatened secession. Uh, I don't remember exactly what this was about, but. And uh, there was also a Nash- the Nashville Convention called by Mississippi in 1849, um, which you know took t- took place in in 1850 in Nashville, Tennessee, about discussing about whether or not to secede. Which was just funny because just a few years ago, from then, um, people like John Quincy Adams were were threatening secession, like North North New North. Northerners were threatened secession over, over um, over this, over tariffs. Uh, over sorry, over Texas entering the union. And um, so, eighty. But Mil, um, Zachary Taylor was actually skeptical of some things in the the Compromise of eighteen fifty. But then, and he but he dies and and um. Stephen A. Douglas makes the different parts of the Compromise of 1850 into separate five separate bills, and Millard Fillmore signs all of them, and which included um, 
a a strong fugitive slave uh, law. And by this time, Massachusetts and the other states were, were um, nullifying the fugitive slave clause in the Constitution. Um, they started doing it in around 1842. And, um, oh man, like this is, I'm talking, if I explain the, the, the compromise, uh, the 1854 and 1857, oh, the 1854 Kansas-Nebraska Act in 1857, um, Dred Scott decision, it's gonna take forever before I even get to the war, but I, I'll say what I learned, um, the Southerners in in um, uh, Pierce's cabinet, because Pierce had su succeeded succeeded Fillmore in eighteen fifty three. Southerners included Secretary of War Jefferson Davis and the Secretary of Navy. I don't remember his name. They said uh, they they urged Davis to 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 sign the the, the Kansas Nebraska Act, and no, they urged. They urged um, Pierce to sign the Kansas-Nebraska Act because um, they believed it would help. But Mitchum actually makes a claim that South should have seceded before they got to this point because even if they took Kansas as a slave state, um, Minnesota and Oregon were going to become free states. So they were. They were already. It was too little too late like even if they had if in the, even if they were able to successfully have kansas without any wars or whatever this is too this is too late they should have seceded before then and i don't know what franklin pierce could have done at this point like i think i've said this before like southerners have said that they wouldn't support him in the convention if they if he didn't sign it and he was skeptical because this would repeal the missouri compromise but um with the the eighteen uh, the Kansas Nebraska Act enshrined popular sovereignty, as in each, each, like the territories would decide rather than the Congress, um, on the slavery question question, and um, this was, I think Jefferson Davis's mistake, because, that, well they should have, uh, he was even even when. Even before the eighteen sixty election, like Davis was skeptical of secession, but um, um, I don't know. They were getting desperate. I think they should have just left back when Calhoun was alive. Calhoun, known to talk about the tyranny of the majority in his um, disquisition on government, and it would become eventually a tyranny of the majority. And now, eighteen fifty seven. Um, Justice Roger Taney rules and uh, writes in the Dred Scott decision that uh, black people can't be citizens of the United States, and slavery that cannot be take uh, cannot be regulated by either t the territories or the or the Congress. Only the only states can regulate slavery, and. Um, Stephen Douglas, uh, he saves his Senate seat in 1858 by uh, clinging on to popular sovereignty, even though this was, he made an enemy of the North by doing that because 
by taking this centrist ground, right? Um, in 1860 and, and trying to have the democratic nomination, like this it wasn't going to work. And, but you know, the, it actually brought up, pointed out how the, the former, former governor of Georgia was his running mate and Douglas actually died a few months into the, into the war in 1861. If they had all just rallied around Douglas and then his, uh, his vice president from Georgia would, become the president they would there would be no there would actually be no thing but there would be no secession no war and so, so much of this would have done. but who in hide, hindsight would have would want like which which southerner would say i'm going to support the guy who's still clinging on to the popular sovereignty even though supreme court ruled even for even better something even better for us Oh, that only the states can do it, can can control slavery. How would you even have the foresight to know that? So, but yeah, the Southern Demo- Democrats elect uh, chose Vice President John Breckinridge as um, as the uh, guy as the nominee. And Breckinridge was in eighteen fifty six. He was actually originally he was supporting Pierce, but then when it became clear that Pierce wouldn't win. He supported. He he switched his support to Douglas, and he was put in as the vice president. But uh, he and he became you know the running mate and what? How do I say this? And he was an ally of, yeah. So he was an ally of Douglas, and they didn't even get along. Uh, like Breckenridge didn't even get along with, with uh, Buchanan. Um. So there's some there's some unfortunate things that happened. And now they're they were running against each other. As well as it was a constitutional union party that just didn't want to talk about slavery, which was led by John Bell of Tennessee. And um in eighteen sixty, right? And they just didn't want to talk about slavery and Miller Fillmore backed them. So but um, they didn't. They only got like three states. It was the reason why Lincoln wins with only thirty nine percent of the popular vote is because Douglas and Breckinridge split the vote. That's that's it. So like that's how. And Douglas believed that if he had step, he told he had told Jefferson Davis. Jefferson Davis wanted them to all step down. Bell Breckinridge. Douglas, they all stepped down, and then an, an anti-Republican presidential candidate would would emerge, uniting all three of them, like the John Bell, which would be the former Southern Whigs, and um, they would fight against, uh, as well as the the Democrats, they would all fight against the sectionalist Northern, mostly Northern Whig party. Some there were some, you know, Democrats like like I mentioned. Um, David Wilmot and oh and his uh Abraham Lincoln's first vice president um John uh sorry Hannibal Hamlin former democrat um I think he was also a former free slave uh free soiler as in free soiler kind of like David Wilmot who wanted to ban slavery in the territories for white people so that white people don't have to have to have to compete with them for jobs 
Um, it also talked about the New York's. Okay, so let's fast forward into the war, how how we got the war. So the first seven states secede, right? And what I learned was that Virginia was was finding the Union, and Virginia more than doubled the population of the Confederate states when it left. So it was, you could say that Lincoln, Lincoln was trying to have it both ways, trying to keep the Union together in, as well as have the southern states not secede, like the southern border states not secede. Um, well, he, he, had it, he had his way with Maryland because he, um, he imprisoned the, the mayor of Baltimore, Baltimore City, City Council, and some, some state and federal politicians from Baltimore who were, who were said to have not been pro-union. And yeah, there was the well, Second Amendment was infringed. They took the guns, so they, they Maryland couldn't really couldn't really join the Confederate States if even if they wanted to. Um, but that that was important because Washington D.C. was wedged between Maryland and Virginia, so I guess you could say um, Lincoln's mistake was the tariff i mean was sorry was was uh, letting was enticing virginia to leave by calling for 75,000 troops because he wanted to make sure that they would fire the, f the first shot you know, at Fort Sumter and then i guess also Fort Pickens like it gets there are so many details i realize but um he had said to to one Unionist Virginian who was discussing with him, he said, like, during this time, like, around the Fort Sumter, firing the first shot, like, um, that, what about my tariff? Like, because there's no way that South Carolina and the rest would, would join with that, with that tariff. And... Lincoln needed the tariff or else the federal government's going to be bankrupt and you wouldn't have protectionism for the northern states. Uh, but, alas, um, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't about slavery. And in 1861, nobody believed, the, the, almost none of the northerners believed that it was about slavery. It was about preserving the Union, the Union for the northerners. And for the south, southerners, most... Only 67% of enlistees own slaves. Well, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, kinda, I'm getting kind of tired. Um, what else can I say? Uh, they talked about the three reasons why Jefferson... How Jefferson Davis could have, like, you know, survived with the Confederacy. Like, had the Confederacy... Have the Confederacy survive. Diplomatically, politically, and, and militarily... Militarily would have been winning the Battle of Vicksburg or the Battle of Gettysburg. Um, politically would have been, um, I don't know, um, George McClellan winning in the Democrats, the, the Democratic election. I mean, the the election of 1864, he ran under the Democrats, but he, he lost. Maybe, maybe partly, I guess, due to voter fraud. And um, diplomatically... 
try to try trying to have try to forge an alliance uh, with Great Britain and France before the the uh, uh, the Emancipation Proclamation. See, uh, actually, the Emancipation Proclamation was 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 written by Lincoln in hopes that they would be to to incite slave revolts, and that it didn't happen. But it did give, I guess, in the eyes of the Europeans, the moral high ground to the to the Union because Great uh, Great Britain and like Queen Victoria, they would not support. Um, the Confederacy and an alliance, and um, and France would only join the alliance if Great Britain was in it. And France being under um, Napoleon the Third. So, what's the last? Uh, what's the last thing I can say? I'm sorry. This is getting long. This is getting longer than I thought it would be. So, I guess. He should have tried to do it before the Emancipation Patient Proclamation, and really he was he was expecting that Davis was expecting that the British would just help them, because they were the British were relying on cotton, but they just bought more cotton from Egypt. The British, with the the, the naval blockade once there was a naval blockade by the Union, so. Because, um, like, you know, I think at the beginning they were trading with the British, and actually Great Britain was kind of afraid, same uh, um, of them for, of the Union after the war, that they might retaliate. And they never, Great Britain and France never officially endorsed, uh, recognized, the the Confederacy. Queen Victoria recognized belligerence. Um, between the North and the Southern states, but um, not really recognizing the Confederacy as a separate republic. I remember uh, one thing I read about was um, that Benjamin Disraeli was truly neutral in the conflict, but he tried to he tried to um, but his rival um, w- William Gladstone was more of a sympathizer. He, he tried to say that, like, if you had st- asked him straight up, do you believe, uh, do you sympathize with the Confederacy? He would say no. But he did make a speech saying that uh, Jefferson Davis had created a nation. <laughs> and I guess he was kind of pressuring the Palmerston government in, in the cabinet to, to recognize Great Britain, not to recognize the Confederacy, but it didn't happen. Um, and it talked a little bit about Lord John Russell there as well. Like, um, look, there are, there's so much I could talk about, man. Um, I mean, I think you've heard this already. Like if now let's bring in the Canadian, this viewpoint, um, I've talked about how Lord Acton had wrote to Robert E. Lee after the war that he saw in the the principle of states' rights, the only way to check a central government. And that was destroyed when they lost, when the Confederates lost the war. And, uh, yeah, states' rights was considered, like, a reason, like, by, by the Canadian 
boundaries to be a reason why it wasn't good uh, that what that why the, the war happened in the first place i mean it was about money right as samuel w mitchum would say it was about money it was about political power and economy who would who would tax us tax the uh who would tax the other out of existence? Like, I mean, would the North tax the South out of existence? And that's that's um, what what it was about, and that's why moderate Republicans actually, like like Abraham Lincoln, they they recognize this that yeah, we're really not gonna end slavery in the South because. Because uh, it because the South is making money from from slavery, and the South is giving taxation money to benefit the North. And one more one more thing, I guess I can say William Lloyd Garrison. He was anti-slavery. He was he didn't want a slavery a union with slaveholders. He was a secessionist at the beginning, but then yeah, he was called out for being a hypocrite when he supported the war against the South. So, um, to moderate, like I talked about, you know, it's in, its influence on how the, the British North America Act was drafted in the Constitutional Convention, like in Charlottetown in 1867. Um, and yeah, I guess I've, I've already mentioned um, the Wild Rose Independence Party in Alberta. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. Um, they're being taxed and equalization money is sent to Quebec and uh, the Atlantic provinces. Oh, so this is, I really see the parallel in this and, um, like maybe, um, I don't want to sound like cocky or anything, but how come no one's mentioning this? Like in the media, the North in up to, until 1860, the North, 1861 the north was plundering the south using the tariff which is a which is a tax so how is it that alberta and saskatchewan they're being plundered i guess by the central government and then the central government gives the money to to um the eastern provinces and it's like People don't see. I don't know why. Am I am I the only one who sees this parallel? This is. It's not a north south divide. It's more of like east west divide. Except, except the, the British coasters, the British Columbia coast of uh, Pacific Pacific coasters. I guess they are. They're you know, leftists. Well as, the um. The inlanders, the mountain, the people in the mountain region, like people like from John, from Jay Hills. Uh, Jay Hill is uh, another leader of the Maverick Party, and he was a former Reform MP from like nineteen ninety three to I don't know, 2015. So he served as the House leader, Conservative House leader when S Stephen Harper was Prime Minister. Stephen Harper also being a, a Westerner, but I guess. I'll say this about Stephen Harper, like, he, he did, he was an economist, so yeah, he did believe, a conservative economist, so he, yeah, he did believe in free markets, and I mean, I, I disliked 
I, I can I can tell you some other reasons why I dislike him, but um, Maxime Bernier brought up how they could have changed the equalization formula to make it less generous um, while they're in cabinet. Like, because Bernier was in cabinet, and he said that it was easy to change the equalization formula. All you had to do is have one cabinet decision, and uh, you would... And you'd be able to change the equalization formula to make it less generous. And this is, I guess, Stephen Harper being even even if he's an Albert and he, I guess he didn't put. I guess he wasn't a sectionalist. I guess he tried to be prime minister for all of Canada, which, you know, is I this it's not it's not something negative to say. Um, recently, Jason Kenney had you know the referendum. Um, I could talk about, you know, how the the senators, uh, the prime minister appoints, on how Alberta is the only one who elects the the people of Alberta elect their senators. Like I can talk about how I actually don't really like that, and how this is mirroring the United States post eight post the Seventeenth Amendment because before the Seventeenth Amendment, it was the state legislatures who who cho- who sent sent the uh, the senators there. And this was this was a very important check. This was a, this was a core part of federalism. This is the check. The the state legis- the Senate is the the key because it's it stops. It has the power to stop stuff from the House of Representatives as well as block appointments from the president. So it was an important. It was the state's check on the federal government. So. Um. So how I feel about senators being elected is it okay? I mean, I, c- I could just go on and on about it. How like I'm not too too big of a fan of that, um. But they had a more important issue was the equalization referendum, which passed, which would say no to equalization, and um, like as in it would cancel equal. Uh, they were asking uh, the the referendum asked. Uh, Alberta, uh, Albertans, do they do they agree with equalization? And then they said no. But I remember uh, Jean Chrétien said, "Good luck, he you can." And and also <laughs> Maxime Bernier, they both I I've, I've seen them both say, uh, "Good luck, try to um, try to we're trying to f- change the constitution because you need seven out of the ten provinces to agree to this, as well as." And seven of those, t- and making up like the majority of the provinces, right? And that I guess that would have to be Ontario and Quebec, because Ontario and Quebec com- combined are the majority. So you need bo- you need both of them essentially. Or, um, Quebec's not gonna <laughs> agree to to that. Um, just one more thing to say. Jean Chrétien, um, okay, Jean Chrétien, for those who don't know, is the former Liberal Prime Minister of Canada from 1993 to 2003. And he talked about, yeah, if, if you're a mayor, I, I, I was watching a, an interview with, like, with Evan Solomon from CTV. He said, if you're a mayor, who do you blame? The, the provinces. If you're the province, who do you blame? The federal government. If, you, if, if you're the federal government, who... Who are you gonna blame the the Americans 
So, uh, at some point, you need to stop passing the book and... I don't know. Like, that's it's a discussion for another time, I guess. But uh, thanks for watching this review. With like, I I feel like maybe I could have I got a little bit off topic talking about well, off top off the topic of it wasn't about slavery, but um, this was uh, Canadian meets the South. I think episode nine or ten. I'm sorry, I don't know the episode. But if you if you've been keeping up with me, thank you for for watching. Um, I'll continue to to post my thoughts. Like this is for me to help express myself. Like I'm not really a good speaker, public speaker, I'd say. So thanks for listening, everyone. Bye now.